3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull working somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. I'd be one to make friends just trying to make you some money my job. Not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Sometimes this market divides itself into categories that are just mind-blowing. Today was all about old versus new. And COVID variants that kill versus variants that are meaningless. And that is what drove the action. Dow sinking 151 points, S&P advancing 0.23 percent. And that's a new record. The Nasdaq gained 0.98 percent. Holy cow. I got to break it down for you because I, I, let's start with the old because it's the only way to explain this stuff. And I think a lot of you are confused that the Dow could be down and the rest of the market could be up. for uh, for, for weeks on end, the leader, oil. The oil complex has roared. The stocks haven't gotten given up as much as the, they, they don't go up as much as the price of crude. Oddly, right. But that's in part because the producers aren't drilling as much as they used to. Instead, they want to husband their cash. After a long history of reckless spending, they pledge to be more prudent. And they are. At the same time, the oil companies are all they're all trying to be better corporate citizens, which means less drilling and more investments in cleaning up the environment. You can only be so green if you're in the fossil fuel business, but when a group of climate insurgents won a proxy fight against ExxonMobil recently, the industry got religion on climate change. Paradoxically, that's been good for their stocks because less drilling translates into higher oil prices. But with crude down a dollar today, the buyers have cashiered their generals. So everything in the oil patch just got obliterated. While Exxon's no longer in the Dow, Chevron stock, which I like very much, was down 3%, and that heavily weighed on the index. So Chevron's first negative. Second, well, there's the Boeing saga. Now, it looks like the Federal Aviation Administration is taking a very hard line with Boeing's new planes, to say the least. Now, I was all excited about the possibility for the big United Continental Order to be announced. Then I discovered that the new 777 model has issues. 777? I mean, I thought that one was Okay. Now, the company's adamant that there's no need to worry about the pushback timeline because it's really not pushed back. But I got to tell you, I think this is more about the tenor or the terror. The FAA must really despise these guys. After all the recent safety issues, can you blame them? Unfortunately, the industrials need Boeing. It's too important to the group. Now that the aerospace kingpin has two strikes against it, let's see, another project in trouble and no China orders in sight. You have to ask, will strike three be... A gigantic equity offering? Now, we trusted CFO Greg Smith when he said there wouldn't be a big secondary. He didn't need it, but he retires this week. Let me put it this way. If you like Boeing, please keep your powder dry. I think you're going to get a better chance to buy it at lower levels. And my charitable trust owns it, so I'm really talk- not talking my book. We also have the new COVID variants to consider. Do you really want to travel before you find out whether your vaccine works against the new strains? If one of these mutations can break through the vaccines, well, that is bad news. Hence why the airlines and cruise lines were all down hideously today. Plus, the $500 million equity offering from Carnival sure didn't help. After all these deals, who knows whether these companies will have any earnings power left over for actual shareholders. Now, Marriott dropped four bucks on this. Uh, That's a ton of points to shed on COVID variant. But it's also giving you buying opportunities. I mean, I, I have to ask, how can you not like American Express? Down more than four points here. I mean, there's a lot more to Amex than just travel overseas. How about the infrastructure bill? Well, that was fabulous for a host of industries, but only if it can pass the Senate. On Friday, it looked like President Biden might have killed the bipartisan package by tying it to a second infrastructure bill that the Democrats could try to pass on a party line vote. He walked those comments back somewhat, and I still think things will work out. But the steel machinery stocks, they can't withstand this kind of hiccup, so their stocks gave up the ghost. Now, just contrast. Every company I just named with these new names in the NASDAQ. Okay? I mean, why don't we start here with Intellia? That's a, it just accomplished something incredible. Coming up with a successful gene editing treatment to combat transthyretin amyloidosis. That's a rare genetic disease, but it does impact more than 50,000 people. They had a small study wow, it seemed to really do great things. Only phase one, but stocks shot up 50% on the news. Pin action here is incredible. Regeneron is their partner on this, although that one actually pulled back today. But CRISPR, that's the one without the A-C-R-I-S-P-R. Editas Medicine, both have similar experiments, and their stocks soared today. Now, all these are huge holdings of Kathy Wood's ARC Genomic Revolution ETF. Just like with Tesla, she believed in gene editing early and often. A couple months ago, Wood's favorite stocks have been laid to waste. But when we got that war white-hot consumer price index number in mid-May, and Wall Street decided that the Fed would have to destroy the economy in order to save it from inflation, these hyper-growth plays have caught fire again. Now the Woodstocks have tremendous momentum. Remember how this kind of market works, please. If it's exciting, it goes higher, even if it's already got a seemingly insane valuation. Right now, the valuation is irrelevant. I know that's not supposed to happen, but it is. These companies have something special. And right now, Wall Street likes special Hey, speaking of special, how about NVIDIA? How about the stock of NVIDIA jumping 5% on the possibility that they'll be allowed to acquire ARM holdings? The big money's been betting against this deal, uh, which would make NVIDIA a major player in CPUs for cell phones and personal computers. Remember, they dominate GPUs. They think it'll, they, they think it'll be blocked as anti competitive. The semiconductor industry had not been supportive either. I don't want NVIDIA to become any more powerful than it is already. But this weekend, we learned that Marvell Tech, Broadcom, and MediaTek, that's a gigantic Taiwanese chipmaker, are all on board with the merger. The idea that it's anti-competitive seems ridiculous to me personally, as ARM and NVIDIA have very little overlap in their product lines. I was worried that the London-based ARM could lose engineers to California, so the British might try to block it. However, NVIDIA CEO Jensen Wong plans to go on a hiring binge in the UK when Jensen promises something he delivers. That only leaves China's potential obstacle. Now, during the height of the trade war, most people thought China would block NVIDIA's last acquisition of Mellanox. That's an Israeli company. Nope. While the Chinese regulators drag the Chinese – well, they drag their feet. They ultimately let it go through. I'm betting the same thing happens this time, and Wall Street's starting to agree, which is why the stock pole bought at 38 bucks. That is the highest I've seen NVIDIA jump, and if you want to go to my uh, Twitter feed, you can see how also NVIDIA can jump, but that's the dog. Then there's PayPal, which is about to give everyday users the go-ahead to sell things on their personal Venmo accounts for a fee. So PayPal goes up nicely while Visa and MasterCard get hit, even as I think that connection is, at best, tenuous. Next up, when Tesla gets hit with a big recall in China, 285,000 cars is big! You have to figure the stock to get crushed, right? But this is a, in Tesla, we trust market, and Tesla grows, so instead the stock rallies, rallies up 2.5%. <laughs> hey, how about AMC? New Fast and Furious movie, 2 million viewers this weekend, meme stocks with good news and a big slate of films coming up. Well, what happens? Jump 7.5%. I, I, I still think it could be a buy. Hey, how about Facebook with a big win over overreaching Federal Trade Commission, setting that stock up 4% and propelling it into the trillion-dollar club? Finally, there is Brooklyn-based C, which jumped 7% today after we found out that it's buying ELO 7. That's its Brazilian counterpart for $217 million. Now, that may not sound like a big deal, but ELO 7 has 1.9 million active buyers, 56,000 active sellers, 8 million items for sale. That could be huge in this fractured market. More on Etsy later. Listen, I know it seems simplistic. How can the new companies have such a halo while the old-fashioned ones have a pig pen-like aura? Can it change? A bunch of big banks announced capital return plans this very evening. It seems sweet. But maybe that's just too boring for these buyers. We're back in an environment where the bulls like excitement. And if it's soporific, it can barely budge either way. Bottom line, right now the people in control of this market want companies that are, for lack of a better word, cool. Even if you think coolness per share is a stupid metric, right now, the market disagrees. I want to go to Deepak in Texas. Deepak. Hey, Jimmy. Booyah. How are you doing, Deepak? Good to hear from you again. What's going on?
4: I'm good. I'm fine, Jimmy. And I would like to thank you for the
3: valuable opinions you share on CNBC. Really great job. Thank you Ah, so much. You're terrific. Thank you so much. What's happening?
4: So my question is regarding Alibaba and, uh, you know, how does the second half uh, of this year look like to you for Alibaba? Is it, is it going to bounce back to its 52-week high or will it take some more
3: time? Given no. Deepak, I think it goes higher. I think Alibaba's in the sweet spot. It's one of the ones that the government seems to not mind at all. And uh, I also feel that, by the way, the Didi could be good this week when it comes, uh, comes public. Can we go to Carl in Mississippi? Carl! Booyah! Jimmy Chill. Yo, What's happening?
5: I wanted to thank you and your awesome staff for taking my call, and I wanted to thank you for taking us to
3: school every night of the week. Well, I do my best, man. I've been around now for a while, and I hope some of my knowledge helps. Let's go to work.
5: All right. The inspiration for researching this stock is my firstborn coming into September, Grayson. Um, this stock has a market cap of $330 billion, with a nice dividend rate of 2.6. Uh, looking to build a long-term holding, Jim, what are your thoughts
3: on Procter & Gamble? Procter & Gamble is a solid outright ah. buy. I think you buy and put a little bit, of course, reinvest that dividend, but put more and more money into it over time. That stock is a winner. I wish I'd been able to own individual stocks that would have been one of them. Alex in New Jersey, Alex.
4: Hey, Jimbo, my money
3: man. Yo. Hey,
4: um, I'm a member and. Uh, you you work tirelessly, man, so I, I can't keep up with all the information that I keep give, trying to send you. out
3: those bullens for action alerts. Thank you, Porter. Thank you.
4: And if my question is uh, about Citibank. I bought it a year ago. Um, I'm up about 20 percent. Uh, sorry, 70 okay. percent. Wow. Um, P-E ratio is still relatively low. Um, inflation is, I think it's going up. Uh, people say it's transitional. I don't think so. Right. I see prices going up, wages going up. You know about that. Um, that means inflation interest is probably going up, which is good for banks, right?
3: Yes, but City, you know, we've got these big capital return plans are announced today, and City decides to keep it unchanged. I would have expected better. It's inexpensive, but I don't think it's necessarily going to go up as much as I would have liked had they been uh, expanding their buyback. But you're right; it's a cheap stock. Congratulations! Remember, don't be greedy. Bulls make money, bears make money, hogs get slaughtered, and you've got a double going. All right. Out with the old and in with these new stocks. You yep, have the people in control of this market want companies that are cool, so take note. Oh man, money today? One cyber company has created a vaccine for ransomware. I'll reveal the name when I sit down with the top brass. Then, the IPO market has been on fire. 214 traditional IPOs so far this year alone. But could the red-hot market continue? I'll tell you how to approach the newly minted companies. and have got some good ideas for you to make money. And Etsy is sorry after announcing an expansion into Latin America with its second acquisition as month, as I just mentioned. I've got the CEO. So stay with Kramer.
6: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call
3: So far this year, we've seen some audacious cyber attacks. In the past, hackers might steal passwords, credit card information. Now they take oil pipelines hostage, shutting down the supply of gasoline to the East Coast. This is a new world where companies need to spend a lot more money shoring up their digital defenses, which brings me to Deep Instinct. Now, this is a privately held cybersecurity company that's emerged as a leader in what's known as deep learning. They use artificial intelligence to prevent cyber attacks, especially so-called fileless attacks that are very difficult to protect against. According to Deep Instinct, they can predict and prevent any kind of threat while covering every endpoint all at a lower cost than traditional solutions. Sounds intriguing to me, but we need to learn more. So let's check in with Lane Best. He's the chairman of Deep Instinct to get a better sense of his business and the cybersecurity space. Mr. Best, welcome to Mad Money.
1: Well, thank you very much for having us today, Jim. Appreciate it.
3: Okay, so Lane, you were uh, former CEO of Palo Alto, President CEO of Zscaler. We've had them on many, many times. We've talked about the evolution yes. of cybersecurity and cyber threats. What can Deep Instinct do uh, that I know comparisons may be odious? The others can't.
1: Well, it's a very important point. Really, the first opportunity that we provide is prevention as a service. This is actually a new category that we're creating. I look for trends in cyber and my last few companies, which you referenced were companies that created platforms that did in most cases, what other cyber companies weren't doing to date. Um, the reality of how we do this really depends upon deep learning, which you referenced already. It's an autonomous set of learning and teaching algorithms that are built upon a platform. And it's analogous. If you think back to when Yahoo and uh, they first began in search, they required manual indexing of the internet to search. And then Google came along with sophisticated algorithms to crawl and search faster and more accurately. The same exists here in comparing more traditional machine learning models used by CrowdStrike and Sentinel-1. We simply can find this and prevent this when it comes to cyber
3: threats. Well, it sounds like that you have tremendous conviction in yourselves and that you offer a ransomware warranty of up to, to $3 million if a customer gets hit by ransomware. And almost more important, maybe, is the false positives greater than 0.1%. You'll refund up to 150% of a customer's annual spend on our software. How can you do that without going broke?
1: Well, it really is all about creating a robust prevention platform. Um, you know, Deep Instinct Insta- could have prevented all the critical infrastructure and service threats we've recently seen. We actually focus, focus on the pre-execution of ransomware or other cyber threats. You know, if you take a look, you know, in recent independent surveys, 70% of CISOs are convinced that they're going to be hit by ransomware attacks. You know, we are so confident in our prevention service capability that we even offer customers this warranty. And in our mind, that's what a service is about. You know, a warranty, a guarantee behind what
3: you promise. Okay, uh, I know you were able to lure my friend Heather Bellini, who was a partner at Goldman, to come over to Deep Instinct. To me, that means we'll hold it. There could be a possibility of a public offering someday. You have raised a lot of money already, though, right?
1: We we have indeed. In fact, uh, we just recently raised over one hundred million dollars, led by BlackRock. Uh, BlackRock itself had the conviction and vision of our you know, prevention as a service platform. Uh, And, you know, this money will fuel the growth and acceleration of the company. Uh, We estimate maybe 24 to 36 months to enter public public markets. But the reality is uh, we're seeing our business accelerate so much because of all the cyber attacks. It could be sooner.
3: Now, I know I often judge a company by their uh, clients. You have NVIDIA. NVIDIA can have anyone. You have T-Mobile. They can have anyone. How did you acquire such incredible marquee names? Well, the NVIDIA acquisition
1: uh, in terms of acquiring them as a customer came that they recognized the deep learning capabilities that we actually developed upon their uh, GPU platform. This was extremely interesting to them, and, and that led to a lot of other opportunities as well. The amount of calculations and sophistication in the deep learning technology is significant. And most other companies really can't do that. Even the ones that claim they ingest uh, you know, malware into their cloud,
3: uh, they can't do this as fast as we can. I want to go back over what you said. A lot of people I've asked, can you make the claim that you could have stopped certain uh, intrusions mm-hmm. like Colonial? Most are reluctant to even go there. You seem so confident. Is it? Do you have something that that actually outwits the bad guys?
1: Well, in order to develop a deep learning platform, you actually have to know how to go on the attack. And you have to build these sophisticated algorithms such that they can outsmart the bad guys. So all of this went into the development. And what I look for is platforms that are built from the ground up. In the case of Deep Instinct, they actually had to design a deep learning capability based on their knowledge, know-how, and, you know, quite frankly, some very unique talents that they have within their engineering team.
3: Well, well, I've got to tell you, I am very excited about your company. Uh, everything I hear about it is, is just, it's dazzling. And uh, you wouldn't be with NVIDIA if it weren't dazzling. Those are the well, best guys there is. So, well, Jim, I, you know, I'd know
1: i like to also you know, share and leave a thought
3: with some of the viewers.
1: Um, you know, imagine if Moderna or Pfizer had created a vaccine two years ago that could have predicted right. and prevented the pandemic. Deep Instinct's created a cyber service that's analogous to a vaccine against ransomware and sophisticated
3: cyber attacks. Well, look, you can't do um, better than that. That's what we need. And I want to thank you for coming on. Lane Best, chairman of Deep Instinct, because it's currently a private company. But, boys, is an exciting private company. Everybody's back here for the break.
6: Coming up, Kramer takes the IPO market's temperature. Should you clap your hands along with the biotech boom? Find out next.
2: The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business.
3: Well, it's the first half of the year. We need to catch up with the smoking hot IPO market. So far in 2021, we've had 214 traditional international uh, initial public offerings, IPOs, compared to 242 deals in all of last year. Look at this. We haven't seen anything like this in ages. The IPOs just keep coming, including a bunch of high-profile ones this week. You recognize Krispy Kreme, Donut Chain, LegalZoom. That's that web-based purveyor of legal services. D-Market, that's basically the uh, Amazon of Turkey. Uh, Sentinel One, cybersecurity play. And finally, DD. We'll have to focus on that one. That's the Chinese version of Uber that's coming public on Wednesday. So when you look at the, all the data, what can we deduce about the current state of the IPO market? Now, look, when I say we've had 214 deals this year, That doesn't include the 356 SPAC offerings or the direct listing plays like Roblox Coinbase. And the IPO market is only growing more heated from here. Now, regular viewers should remember, that's rarely a good sign for the overall market. When you get a flood of new deals, it can weigh on the broader stock market because many money managers need to sell something else to participate in these initial public offerings, unless, of course, they're getting money in. And that's what it seemed like today. Now, June has already been the hottest month of the year for IPOs. It's not even finished yet. We've had 45 deals raising nearly $14.5 billion in proceeds. And when you throw in the stocks coming public over the next few days, well, that number could hit $20 billion. According to the IPO experts at Renaissance Capital, the second quarter has been the busiest quarter for deals since the third quarter of 2001. Now you're talking about 20 years. That's a couple quarters, by the way, after the dot-com peak. In terms of performance, when we're talking about the class of 2021, the average IPO was up nearly 20% from its offering price as of Friday's close. That sounds pretty good, right? But that's heavily skewed by a handful of extremely strong performers. If instead you look at the median, that's right, the IPO that's smack in the middle, It's up 8% from where it came public. That suggests we've reached a point where most of these deals are still winners for investors. But the gains tend to be pretty meager. There's not a lot of easy money floating around in this IPO market. More troubling, there are lots of losers in the class of 2021. Get this. At the end of last week, 90 out of 214 stocks, 90 that came public this year, were trading below their offering price. In other words, if you got in on all these deals from the get-go, you would have lost money 42% of the time. I'm calling that suboptimal. Now, given that we're about to get the biggest Chinese IPO in over a decade this week, I think it's worth checking in on the performance of of this year's Chinese deals. Remember, companies in China don't need to obey the same securities laws as companies in America. So you don't get the same kind of transparency. And that's a euphemism for we don't really know what's going on. Year after year, that means Chinese IPOs tend to underperform American ones, with a tiny handful of terrific exceptions, though. Now, I'm always checking the data to see if that will change. We're always getting tons of Chinese deals. I'd love love it if they started betting, if they just started making some reliable money over there, it would be terrific for our viewers, but they don't. Unfortunately, that hasn't been the case, and so far this year, nothing's changed. In 2021, 31 Chinese IPOs have hit U.S. markets, and on average, they're doing quite poorly. While the average Chinese deal was up nearly 25% from its offering price as of last Friday, that's skewed by three stocks that have more than doubled. Better way to look at it? Median. When you look at the median Chinese IPO, it's down more than 7% from the offering price. That's right. Down. Yet more than half of them are down versus where they came public. 17 out of 31. By comparison, the median non-Chinese IPO is up nearly 13% for the year. Now, that is some serious underperformance. And look, it's not just the class of 2021. If you look at the 30 Chinese IPOs from last year, the numbers are pretty similar. As of Fridays, uh, nearly half, uh, 14 out of 30, are negative territory versus where they came public. While the average Chinese deal from last year is up 30 percent, that's much worse than the average non-Chinese IPO from last year, up nearly 64 percent. See, th- these are very telling figures. The median performance for 2020 is even worse. The, the median Chinese IPO is, is up just 4 percent. Okay, How about the median non-Chinese IPO? 32 percent. And You wonder why I think these Chinese deals shouldn't be allowed. But wait, wait a second. When these Chinese deals go bad, they tend to go really bad. Look at last year's China IPOs, fully 10 out of 30 are down more than 40 percent from where they came public. That's hideous. We've got some real financial horror stories out of China, although admittedly they pale in comparison to the human rights horror stories. You got cases of blatant fraud, fraud, like a Luckin coffee, that people braided me from that one for spotting that. And that came public in 2019. The stock tripled from its IPO price before we found out that Luckin was faking a big chunk of its sales. And the shares imploded. Uh, within 13 months of coming public, the stock got delisted from the NASDAQ. You've got shady companies with disclosures just like Phoenix Tree Holdings. That's a Chinese real estate company that raised over $100 million in January of last year. The stock steadily worked its way lower, and a few months ago it got delisted from the New York Stock Exchange for failing to, quote, make timely, adequate, and accurate disclosures of information to its shareholders and the investing public, end quote. Or how about RLX technology? Now, this is a vaping play that's been, been the largest Chinese IPO of 2021. The largest. So what happened here? RLX surged from $12 to $35 in its first couple days of trading. But since then, the stock has plunged to the single digits as the Communist Party has started cracking down on vaping. Boy, they were smart to get that deal done, huh? Now, the company's being sued by investors for allegedly overstating its financials and misrepresenting the risks when it came public. However, that doesn't mean you should give up on every single Chinese IPO, while a lot of them are indeed low quality. There's a big caveat. The larger ones, ooh, they tend to be much, much better than the smaller ones. Doesn't make them a sure thing, but it means they're sometimes worth buying on a case-by-case basis, which brings me to the one I want you in on, Didi, D-I-D-I. That's the Chinese version of Uber that's coming public on Wednesday. This company has a stranglehold on China. It's the ride-sharing market they own it. They crushed their competitors and then bought them up when they got tired of losing money. That includes Uber China. Didi's also got some really huge backers, Chinese tech giants like Alibaba and Tencent, a Japanese conglomerate like SoftBank, even Apple is in Didi. Finally, based on the proposed price range, which values DD at around $65 billion, I think the valuation seems eminently reasonable. Now, there are some antitrust concerns here, but as long as they stay on the Communist Party's good side, and I know it's probably hard to do, but as long as they do, I doubt they'll have much trouble with the regulators. So if you want to speculate on a Chinese IPO, you've got my blessing to bet on Didi. I would try to get as many shares as you can. D-I-D-I. Now, there's one more area where we've seen a ton of deals. this year: biotech. We've had 49 of them. Typically, I tell you to avoid biotech IPOs because they tend to perform poorly, and that still seems to be the case. Of the 49 biotech deals in 2021, 29 of them were down from where they came public at the end of last week. That's pathetic. So I'm reluctant to recommend any of these, but the fact that biotech companies are raising lots of money, well, I got an idea. It tells me you might want to invest in their suppliers. Now, here, letter A, Agilent Technologies. Perkin Elmer, we had them on recently. Charles River Labs, we have them all on time. And Viva Systems, those are the winners in the bull market on biotech IPOs. The bottom line, while the IPO market is booming here, there's not much easy money still floating around. So you have to be very selective about participating in these new deals. And I do hope the DD deal comes at a good price so you can make a lot of money. Let's go to Bob in New York. Bob! Hey, Jim, how are you? I am good. How about you? Not doing uh, too bad myself. Jim, I just wanted to let you know I've been a follower of yours since you were at WOR Radio in New York. Remember <laughs> oh, those my! Days? Oh, that's something. Thank you.
5: Listen, Jim, uh, the FDA notified AbbVie they will not meet the action dates for the new drug applications for RINVAC. Is this a red flag for, for AbbVie, even though
1: it has been approved in Europe? And if they don't get approval, would you consider it a
5: catastrophic event for the company? Um,
3: We do want it for our charitable trust. We have been very disappointed that management has not been able to get this reinvoked through. Uh, The answer is yes. I agree with you. This could be very, very bad for the company. I hope the company will come on and explain to us what the heck is going on here, because we have a very big game for the charitable trust. Uh, You can follow that by ActionLearnsPlus.com, but we are concerned very concerned about Ringo. All right. And thank you for following me all these years. The IPO market may be booming, but you need to be very selective about participating in these deals. Hey, we got much more mad ahead. I'm sitting down with the CEO of Etsy. What a performer that is. If today's acquisition, find out what's going on. Then memo to CEOs. You can't aspire to be a meme stock. I'll explain why. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer.
6: For this company, picking that perfect gift is personal. Is craft and customization, the ticket to keeping investors
3: committed to commerce, the Etsy way, a few weeks ago, the turbocharged growth stocks bottomed, and they've been roaring higher ever since. Consider the case of Etsy, the Brooklyn-based online marketplace for all sorts of unique and handmade goods. Here's a stock that was one of the biggest winners of the pandemic era, as Etsy's platform became a digital lifeline for both consumers and small business owners. However, earlier this spring, the stock got obliterated as a part of the rotation out of the COVID beneficiaries and into the boom and bust cyclicals that can put up incredible numbers in a roaring economy. Etsy stock lost nearly 40% of its value in the span of two months. Then that whole rotation reversed itself as Wall Street started worrying about a Fed-induced slowdown. In the past few weeks, Etsy's stock has surged from the mid-160s to just under 200, including a monster 7% gain just today. Now, some of that's the more favorable environment, but the company's also made some big moves. Earlier this month, Etsy announced that it's buying Depop. That's a clothing resale platform that's beloved by Generation Z. Then this morning, we learned that they're buying Elo 7, basically the Etsy of Brazil, and that's what drove today's rally. So can this thing keep rolling? Boring. Let's go straight to the source with Josh Silverman. He's the president and CEO of Etsy to get a better sense of these deals and his plans for the future. Mr. Silverman, welcome back to Mad Money.
5: Hey, Jim, it's always great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, let's start with the news of the day
3: because it's quite exciting. The acquisition of Elo 7 or Elo Secchi. And what does it mean for shareholders of Etsy?
5: Well, you know, I think the past year has really demonstrated how valuable a business can be like Etsy. And that gives us the strength to lean in and be investing right now and the opportunity to acquire the Etsy of Brazil. Brazil is one of the biggest economies in the world, but its e-commerce sector is still in just the very early days of penetration. So we think e-commerce is really poised for growth in Brazil and ELO7 is one of the top 10 e commerce sites in Brazil. It's the Etsy of Brazil. It's really well positioned, we think, to capitalize on it. So we think it's a, a perfect marriage. Now, it seems like they do have a huge
3: number of people on it. And I'm told when I did my research on it that Brazil's the fifth largest e commerce market. So you've got a possibility of melding the great technology you have with, what, 1.9 million people who shop? On Elo seven, this is going to be very. I think additive. I know you didn't say additive to the numbers. I'm talking about additive to the ethos.
5: We think for the future, you know, and this is all about growth potential over the medium and over the long term. We think it's uh, it's a fantastic addition. You're right. There's 1.9 million buyers, 56,000 sellers. 8 million items for sale. And just like Etsy, these are custom, handmade, made-to-order items. I mean, this, this business is really modeled after Etsy. Um, so it's, it's a great opportunity for us to come into Brazil. And in Brazil, the, oppor- the ability to pay easily online, shipping, all the things we take for granted in the United States, those are just developing in Brazil. So the opportunity for Brazil's e-commerce sector to grow faster than, than the U.S., we think is, is very meaningful over time.
3: Are there things, Josh, that we went on would just kind of blow our minds because it's nothing like anything we have in this country?
5: Uh, you know Elo7 is a lot like Etsy that it's a little more focused on special events so it's more focused on things like baby showers and weddings in fact those special events account for about half of Elo7's business but the pandemic has allowed obviously that part of their business has been hard hit during the pandemic we expect it'll really bounce back coming out of the pandemic it's allowed their home furnishing business and their clothing business and some of their other lines to really develop and and, and grow uh you know during the during the past year but but, you know, we think it's a great marriage because it's actually a lot like Etsy. Well, now you, we can't we got to take this
3: uh, moment to be able to talk about Depop, which is a site that uh, has captivated, captivated many, many people. And my daughter, who sells on Etsy, says that it is the most exciting site. We've got people on our staff uh, who are addicted to it. So Depop obviously has already been a home run for
5: you. Well, Depop is we think, the most exciting company in the most exciting sector in resale. So resale is is where a lot of activity is happening in e-commerce. It's growing super fast. And if you think about within resale, clothing is probably the biggest opportunity. Clothing is the biggest category for sales for online, and it's a great category for resale. And Gen Z is the most exciting audience. 90% of shoppers on Depop are under 26 years old. They're Gen Z. Gen Z is going to account for a quarter of the world's workforce soon. So we think buying a brand that that is the brand of Gen Z and the most exciting category of resale is, is we think, a, a great opportunity as well. And just like Elo 7, it's a business model exactly like like etsy it's a business model where sellers sell directly to buyers without logistics or or, or, fa- or you know warehouses or factories in the middle and it's a it's a business that faces the exact same opportunities as, as Etsy how do we make search and discovery work really well how do we make we make trust and safety work really well how do we run a global payments platform really well how do we do performance marketing so there's so many of these common challenges where Etsy we think is really well positioned to help
3: would you ever think about uh Taking Ethereum. Uh, Younger people like Ethereum. Some of these uh, uh, these goods are a little atraditional or is that just shouldn't be on the table? Uh,
5: Someday, uh, very possibly. I've owned Bitcoin for for many years and I'm a believer in cryptocurrency. I know you are, too. Mm -hmm. There aren't enough people who have it and want to use it every day for tender. For that to be something that we would prioritize on our, our roadmap today, most of the people who own it are using it, at, you know, for investment. Uh But uh, at some point, I hope and I think you probably hope that cryptocurrency becomes widespread enough and becomes a common form of tender. And is something that people are really regularly asking for. And at that point, we prioritize it on our roadmap. I couldn't agree more.
3: One last question. Uh, I know you care passionately about the rainforest and about uh, the ecosystems. Is there any way that ELO 7 can do good now that are alive with you for the rainforest? You know, because we know that Brazil's got such problems
5: it's heartbreaking what's happening in the rainforest right now. And it's it's really one of the biggest uh, challenges we face in terms of global climate change. And as you know, Etsy's committed to be carbon neutral by 2030. That will extend to Depop and to ELO7 as well, of course, as part of the overall Etsy Inc. roadmap. So w- with some footprint in Brazil, maybe we have an opportunity now to be part of that dialogue. Um, for sure, it's The common values of ELO7 and Depop, they both share Etsy values. And that is about recycling goods. That is about building a sustainable business that's sustainable for the environment. It is about caring about diversity and inclusion. Uh, That's really important to why we thought that a partnership with ELO 7 and with Depop mattered because they share our values. And we certainly want to be part of that conversation. Well,
3: thank you so much, Josh, for thinking of our show and for coming on. I thought this was a great acquisition. I know from & Libre, it can be just huge down there. You guys will make it right. Josh Silberman, CEO of Etsy, Thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. Thanks, Thanks, Jim. Look, what can I say? You know I've liked Etsy from the teens, and not just because I live down the block from it, but Josh has done an amazing job, and Etsy is still a buy. Stay with Kramer. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we
6: got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round.
3: It is time! It's time for the lightning round! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? It's time for the lightning round! It's time for Sunil in Massachusetts! Sunil! Hey Jim, booyah! booyah. I've, got a, I've got a question about a Canadian company that doesn't get much press on the side of the border. Uh, My stock is Lightspeed LFPD. I've been liking these guys. I've been liking this Lightspeed. I want to have them on. I think they've got a pretty good story to tell. I say yes to Lightspeed. I want to go to Matthew in New York. Matthew. Hey, what's up, Grandma? How you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Uh, Of course. What's going on? Not too bad. Not too bad. All right. I know you're a chewy guy. I know you're a pet lover. I am. I am. We got got to give Bark some love here because I really believe in them. You do? I do. I really do. You really do? All right. Uh, look, I'll tell you what. It's down 33%. I'm interested, but you know I am. I am a chewy guy, so we'll have to then let's let's have him on. Let's have the original bark on, and then I can make a judgment, okay? All right, let's go to Jake in Indiana. Jake. Hey, Jim. I'm interested in opening a position into
1: Berry Global Group. I just wanted to know your opinion on the stock and where you see it going in the short term.
3: Berry Global very global, very global. No, no, give me a second here for very global. Give me a second here for very global. Um, I had Burry on, this is a Pennsylvania, no, this is the Evansville one. That's why I'm confused. Uh, yeah, this is, they make plastic products, they make closures. This is a very good company. Very mundane and very good company. Let's go to Robert and Marilyn. Robert. How's the chill man doing? Chill's doing fine. What's happening? Hey, look, I need your help with Coinbase because it's like the crypto market goes with Coinbase and China dropped out. Is now the good time to uh, jump back in. I think just buy Ethereum. Uh, Scott, just buy Ethereum. I think Ethereum is true. It's up very nicely. Uh, Let's go to Rambo in California. Rambo. Hooyah, Jim. This is Rambo
1: from San Jose. I'm here with my six-year-old son, Jonah. Okay. Jim Jim, Jonah is very socially conscious and okay. wants to invest with his in values. He recently asked me to buy him stock for a company that helps address homelessness. And here is Jonah with his recorded question.
5: Oh, well, yeah, Jim, I'm Jonah. I asked my dad to buy stock for me in School because they donate a lot of money to Habitat for Humanity and all to People. But the stock has gone down 10%. Should I buy
3: more or South? More pool? I like Whirlpool very much. I think, I think, uh, you know, I got to tell you, they got a guy, Bitzer's running it now. I think he's terrific. I'll meet a buyer. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
6: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, investors may want in on some meme stock pandemonium, but the market's not so easy as Reddit and forget it. Kramer sets the record straight next. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with squawk on the street. Live from post nine
3: at the NYSE. Are you like at the UN or at the White House, David? Right now, I mean, you're some, you're a <laughs> diplomat. Where, very white. Are, where are you in the, the, the Saint James? White. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. I'm in a
1: secret location, Jim. You know, de- dealing with some yard issues. Yeah. So, you know, what can I say? Uh, uh, it all starts at
3: 9 a.m. Eastern. The CEOs of small cap companies keep asking me the same question. How do we become a meme stock? The answer? Well, first, let me say I'm probably the worst person to ask. I'm one of the few people in the media who's been dumb enough to really antagonize the Wall Street bets mob. So they're certainly not just <laughs> not listening to me. Just read some of my replies in that mentions column of Twitter. But I totally get why companies want to cynically game the meme stores in order to raise money. The desire to become a meme stock is really the desire to have your stock bid up by Reddit followers in the hope that you can do a secondary offering at higher prices and raise a bunch of money for your company or yourselves. The meme chasers won another AMC. Uh, That's a company that would have gone bankrupt, right? Except Wall Street Bets engineered a short squeeze that sent the stock into the stratosphere, allowing them to raise capital, which is what they need if you're a movie theater company and you're closed. They won another GameStop, where a savior emerged, Ryan Cohen, who created a movement to smash the shorts. He wasn't even behind it. He profited from it. Both cases have been wildly successful, although GameStop's pulled back substantially from its highs of late. Still, it's run from, well, run from $20 to $213 over the last six months. Not bad. Of course, CEOs want to emulate like that performance. However, if companies really want to draw the attention of the Wall Street Bets crowd, they ought to be careful for what they wish for. Remember, the thing that attracts these meme investors is a gigantic short position. No company I know ever aspires to have a large short position against it. You can't just go out there and hire short sellers to set up a squeeze. You have to do badly enough that lots of money managers want to bet against your stock. Sell, 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 sell. Nor can you hire someone to compose a devastating short report that that calls your stock or you. As diabolically brilliant as that might be, there's no Hindenburg research for hire. A lot of people hate short sellers, but they tend to be honest guys who simply want to profit from rooting out questionable management teams. Tend to. However, I can say this. Right now, the shorts are on the run like never before. They're a bunch of Bambis, endangered forest animals. I think any stock with a short interest over 10% could be ready to rock and roll with a simple reach out via Twitter. All they need is to point out a minor positive catalyst and mention the size of the short, short interest that's out there. And that's what gets the Wall Street bets people going. I bring this up because there are a lot of honest companies out there that need money. And I would love it if they could get Wall Street bets to fundraise for them. If the memesters sense that there are shorts to be crushed, they will take a stock to infinity and beyond to make it happen. Of course, that doesn't make these things investable. I mean, as we saw with Corsair Gaming, the moment the memesters pushed the stock up, the executives started filling out forms to do some insider selling at elevated prices. Unfortunately, most of the time when a stock has a large short position, it's because the underlying company is doing very badly. They have ugly balance sheets and negative prospects. Aside from a few exceptional situations where the shorts go in for a stupid gang tackle, think GameStop or, incredibly, Bed Bath & Beyond, which is doing well, the short sellers tend to be smarter than the longs. Or at least they were smarter before Wall Street bets made it so much more perilous to bet against stocks. Still, you don't get lots of short sellers bashing your stock unless you've screwed up and screwed up badly. Long story short. You can't aspire to be a meme stock. That means aspiring to be shorted. And the shorts just aren't that stupid to take the bait unless something is genuinely wrong with your business. However, if I were still in the business of shorting stocks, I would close any trade that started to look crowded. Meaning anything that has more than a 10% short interest. Because in this new world, that means you have a target on your back from Wall Street bets and they will not hesitate to pull the trigger. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.
2: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.